Hi, we're Connors. A bunch of high school students from Muscatine, Iowa, trying to make a dent in the universe. And this is our podcast. Locally Global! Fourteen billion tons of pollution is dumped into our oceans every year. So I decided to take a deeper look into what is going on with the world's water. Hi, I'm Douglas Custis, and you are listening to episode six of Locally Global. This episode is over goal number six, clean water and sanitation. With water being one of the most basic needs of a human, large amounts of the world still go every day without quick and easy access to healthy, clean water. But this goal is about much more than just getting the world clean water and clean forms of sanitation. Yes, by 2030, the UN does say we'll have universal and equitable access to safe and affordable drinking water. But it also states that we are going to improve water quality by reducing pollution. However, by 2050, just over half of the world's population will be affected by water scarcity. This means that those people will be short on water because in that area, water supplies will be insufficient. Even worse, only 2.5% of the Earth's water is freshwater, and most of it is frozen in our ice caps and glaciers. So how do we sustain what little water we have on this planet? Well, on average, each one of the 329 million Americans use 88 gallons of water daily. That means America is using more than 27 trillion gallons of water every day. That is almost the same amount of water that was dumped onto Houston during the Hurricane Harvey disaster. Additionally, 5% of that water is flushed down our toilets daily. That is 1.4 billion gallons of wastewater flushed. So how do we keep this supply from running out? Well, one way to take control of the situation is for governments to set rules and regulations on water use. So I talked to the Muscatine Water Resource and Recovery Facility Manager on how all of this works. My name is John Cook. I'm the director of the Water and Resource Recovery Facility for the city of Muscatine. And the Water Resource Recovery Facility works with everyday wastewater. So to get a better understanding... I asked them how the Water Resource and Recovery Facility works. Well, everything that gets flushed down the toilet or goes down a sink or goes down a shower drain or anything like that has to go to what we call lift stations. And a lift station is a place that actually pumps the water to the treatment plant. So right now there's 21 of those around town. So water flows by gravity out of your house to a lift station that then pumps it to, to our facility. And that facility then treats that wastewater, we call it. So it's a biological process where the wastewater is actually kind of just looks like a gray um, kind of a water at that point. All the big stuff has been taken out, any trash or anything that got flushed. Then the, the bugs that we have, these microscopic bugs, actually use that uh, material that's in the water for their food. So they eat it out of the water. So we're really just a big bug farm. Um, and we keep them nice and happy. We put, them, we put air to them, and then they uh, reproduce for us and everything else like that. So the water comes in 24-7, and we treat it biologically. The bugs are what actually create the clean water. 
the plant removes the solids and lets the microscopic waste and pollutions settle in the water. Then the microscopic bugs eat the settled waste for food. These bugs then, when, after they eat that food, they have mass, right? They're, they're heavy, so they actually fall to the bottom of another tank, and what you have left on top is clean water. That clean water then goes through UV disinfection. So we have these UV bulbs that uh, we pass the water by, and that kills all the E. coli and viruses and different things that might be left over. And then we put that back into the Mississippi River, all that water. Wait. So the bugs have mass? What do you do with the bugs then after? The bugs that are left over, that we have too many, bu oops, too many bugs at, at a certain point. I talk with my hands, so. Uh, and I, and I, I have to get rid of these bugs, so we actually, they are actually good fertilizer. They have a lot of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all the other things that, that farmers put on their farm ground. We actually make that out of the waste that comes out of the, out of the city. So we pump that across the street, across Highway 61, where Lutheran Homes is, the nursing home. And that farm ground over there is where we apply the biosolids, what we call the leftover bugs. How these bugs were used to fertilize fields piqued my interest, and I wondered if any viruses or diseases could form on the bugs. And if so, would that hurt the soil they were being used to fertilize? Well, we don't ever create any viruses. Anything that comes in has already been flushed, comes out of people. Um, so that's the only way we'd really get any kind of viruses there. And basically, they're all broken down pretty well. I mean, this once they get out into the environment, if they're outside of a body, they don't last very long in, in, in that environment. So um, not too worried about anything getting out into the environment that way. Uh, they also go through a stabilization process called anaerobic digestion. So the anaerobic digesters run at about 95 degrees, and so we call that a, a vector uh, reduction, which is uh, pathogen destruction and things of that. So we do uh, measure the fecal coliforms, which is what comes out of feces. Get that, guess that name. Uh, we have to have that number under a certain number in order to be able to apply to the ground. This got me thinking about how our town of 23,000 people can create so much wastewater. But that wastewater is then created into fertilizers and back into clean water. So I started to think about how we are dumping our clean water into Mississippi, but what if that water wasn't so clean? What if we didn't have the resource plant to clean the water? What would become of the mighty Mississippi then? Where does all that water go? The Mississippi is the largest river in the United States. It runs into the Gulf of Mexico and into the Atlantic Ocean. This got me thinking about all the other major river systems throughout the world, and I stumbled upon a pollution crisis going on in the world's largest river delta. The Ganges. The Ganges is being severely polluted with 598 million liters, which is equivalent to 150 million gallons of water, of wastewater, is being dumped into this holy river every day. This holy river plays a major part in one of the largest religions on the planet, Hinduism. Every year, many Hindu people bathe in the river to cleanse their souls of the wrong they have done. And due to the amount of pollution in the river, 350,000 children die annually 
to water polluted related diseases. But that is India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi during his speech announcing that India is open defecation free. Open defecation is people defecating outside of a toilet. This mainly occurs in the rural areas of Central and South Asia. The most common places where people choose to defecate is in open water. With the hopes that becoming open defecation free will stop all the wastewater from polluting the Ganges. India became open defecation free by adding 110 million toilets. Prime Minister Modi thinks that he has solved India's open defecation problem. But people are still skeptical that it won't work because they do not know how they will maintain these toilets. In some areas, people have stated that they have one toilet for a whole village and people have to wait their turn to use a toilet and they sometimes will have to wait upwards of 30 minutes for a bathroom. And people in emergency will just go in the open but all of these questions will be answered in the future as Modi's plan unfolds. As of now, India is starting to focus on plastic pollution in the Ganges. 1.2 billion tons of soft and hard plastic are dumped into the Ganges every year. So I contacted National Geographic explorer Imogen Knapper, who is currently in the Ganges testing plastic pollution in the river. Uh, my name is Dr. Imogen Napper, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Plymouth, which is based in the UK. And currently, I'm a scientist on the National Geographic Sea to Source Expedition, and we're currently looking at plastic pollution in the Ganges River. What is going on in the Ganges? The Ganges is a major river system, starting all the way from the Himalayas and then going all the way through India and Bangladesh to the Bay of Bengal. So we're looking at the sea to source. And unfortunately, the Ganges is quite polluted. But it's not just the Ganges that's really polluted, it's rivers around the world. I've seen similar sites in the UK and in the US, which proves that it's a shared problem. And for me, what I'm really passionate about is education. And this can start from schools all the way up to politicians teaching everyone the different ways that we can stop plastic getting into the ocean. And remember that rivers are conveyor belts into the ocean. But by teaching people that we shouldn't be just chucking litter into the river, we need proper waste management facilities, uh, good recycling, and just using generally less plastic are the ways that we should go forward. The Sea to Source Expedition is an all-woman-led expedition taking place in the Ganges. Founded by National Geographic, the goal of the Sea to Source is to help scientists understand some of the plastic in the river and how to tackle the plastic pollution problems around the globe. So I'm part of the water team in the Sea to Source expedition and it does what it says on the tin. We go out into the water every day and we have some key areas that we're looking at. So we're looking at water samples and particularly looking at microplastics in there. And microplastics are plastic less than five millimeters in length. So typically less than the size of your, your fingernail. And we're looking in the water to see what different types of microplastics there are. Are they fibers? How big are they? And potentially where are they coming from? 
And by using this information and this data, we're going to see where it's accumulating. Are microplastics greater towards the ocean where they've had more time to accumulate than right up in the Himalayas uh, at its more natural source? We're also taking sediment samples to understand how plastic is sinking. Is it floating at the top or is it sinking all the way down to the bottom of the river before it gets to the ocean? We're also taking air samples because as we walk around, even the clothes that we're wearing, they can shed fibres and most of the clothes that we wear are made out of plastic. So we're really looking at how much we could be polluting the air around the river with plastic, which if you think about it, is quite scary. We're also looking at fishing net and fishing rope and understanding how this could be a major source of plastic into the river and also taking riverbank quadrats, which is a method where we're throwing a quadrat, so this is a big square, around the river bank and this is helping us characterise what different types of plastic is on the riverbank itself. What is one thing that you wish people understood about why a problem like this is going to take so long to fix? I think in science, people sometimes don't understand how many lab hours go into getting results. Once we're collecting samples in the Ganges or on expeditions, um, there's so much more lab work that happens when we get home. So after this expedition, I think I'm going to be in the lab for months just trying to understand what exactly is happening. And we characterize the plastic, we measure its size, uh, take photos of it. And then after that, then we start writing it down into scientific papers, which again takes time. So sometimes I wish that people could understand that science is really slow. It's really exciting, but it can be really slow just so we can get, make sure that everything is right. What made you want to become a scientist and do the work that you do? It was actually when I was younger, I grew up in a seaside town called Clevedon, which is just outside Bristol in the UK. And I always used to go to the beach and draw on the sand. And I don't remember there being any plastic there. I used to take a pebble or a shell and I could draw on the sand for hours. But now I go back to the same beaches where I grew up and I notice that there's plastic everywhere. And it scares me because this has happened in my lifetime. So what's it going to be like in another 20 years? And rather than sit down and wait for it to all blow over, I wanted to be part of the solution. And it really inspired me to take a career in science. And now my science is really focusing on solutions and testing solutions in environmentally relevant conditions. So I was really uh, fortunate that my first piece of research, which was looking at microbeads and cosmetics, influenced international bands around the world, uh, which is exactly why I decided to get into science, and that was to make a change. Uh, so that's really fueled my passion, seeing that uh, science can be an integral part of change making. The Ganges is facing a horrible problem, but because of people like Imogen, we are working towards a solution. From the Ganges River in India to the Mississippi River running along Muscatine in the United States, pollution can and will play a major role in the safety of our water. Wastewater plants, like the one in Muscatine, are helping our world keep the water that we have and keep our environment as clean as we can. But in other places, like the Ganges, 
we can see what happens if we heavily pollute our water. And if we continue to pollute our water, we will eventually run out of clean water. If the world runs out of clean water, it will cause massive amounts of extinction throughout the entire planet, if not killing every living organism on the planet. So in order to keep our healthy lives and simply just our lives, we need to keep our water clean and recycle our wastewater that we create. And if we don't, the consequences will be extreme. I hope this podcast helps you to understand the effects our use on water can have on this world. So I hope you also remember to be safe and smart with your water use. And up next week is goal seven, affordable and clean energy with Jesse Garcia. You'll get to learn more about how the world is shifting to sustainable energy. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Douglas Custis. I want to give a big thank you to my fellow classmates for all the feedback they gave me. I also want to give a massive thank you to Gina Steffens, who was our National Geographic Explorer throughout this entire experience. Also, I want to thank Katie Thornton, who was a podcaster who took the time to talk to us and give us tips and tricks for all our podcasts. Mr. Hayes also deserves a shout out for letting us borrow his computer lab to be able to edit our podcasts faster and easier. Finally, I want to give a huge shout out and massive thank you to John Cook and Dr. Imogen Napper for taking the time out of their busy lives to talk to me and let me interview them and put them in my podcast. One last one I want to thank is Rachel Hansen, who put this entire podcast idea together and helped us all throughout this experience. Thank you all.